Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Biblical leadership. Uh, We've been looking at this for the past, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 weeks and kind of had an introduction to it, spent six weeks talking about elders in the New Testament, three weeks talking about deacons, and tonight we're going to tie it all together. And so I've entitled my, my lesson tonight, Understanding How Elders and Deacons Work Together. Um, I don't generally listen to many books as far as you know, hearing them read, uh, but I do appreciate listening to a podcast every once in a while. You can, you can listen to something while you're moving around doing something else. Um, and that's what I like about it. I can remember years ago, I was uh, listening to a book on tape, and uh, it was Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And when I found this quote from the book, I, I chuckled because I remember hearing him tell it instead of reading it, okay? But it goes like this. He talks about the difference between leadership and management. He says, You can quickly grasp the important difference between the two if you envision a group of producers or managers cutting their way through the jungle with their machetes. They're producers, they're problem solvers, they're cutting through the undergrowth, they're clearing out, they're making a trail on a path. Um, The managers are telling them to, encouraging them, sharpening their machetes, and they're writing policy and procedure manuals, and they're holding programs and and improved technology and setting up schedules and compensation programs for these machete wielders. And the leader is the one who climbs the tallest tree. He surveys the entire situation and he yells, Wrong jungle! And then these busy producers and the managers, how do they respond? They go, Shut up, we're making progress! Yeah, you know. If you've ever been in production, you know exactly what that feels like. And I chuckled the first time I heard it instead of reading it. There is a difference between management and leadership. There's also a difference between elders and deacons. And we've looked at that distinction. And we're going to go back to the scriptures again tonight. What I want to remind you of is that uh, every explicit uh, occurrence of the term deacon in the Bible always occurs with the term overseer. Uh, there in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, uh, that book starts out, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. The only other time that deacons are mentioned by by name in the uh, New Testament is 1 Timothy 3, and we looked at that last week, and that's where you have the qualifications for an overseer and that of a deacon. Again, every time the word deacon occurs, it always occurs with the term overseer. I think that's a clue that if we want to understand what an elder does and what a deacon does, we have to look at how they work together. And so we best understand the role of elder and deacon when we understand how they work together. Now, let me take a few minutes and review what we've looked at over the past, I don't know, eight or nine weeks. Uh, Kind of a refresher. 
I want to remind us of what we've looked at before I go into anything else. So what are elders? Let's back up and ask this question. What are elders? What are deacons? Well, let's take the first one. What are elders? Elders are spiritual leaders who shepherd the flock. First uh, Peter 5, verse 1 and 2 says it well. Paul, I mean, Peter is writing, and he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And so his word to the elders is to shepherd God's flock. Whose flock? God's flock. And so that's, that's the mandate. That's the mission. So what do elders do? We've looked at this before, but again, we're doing a review. And so I might talk a little fast or I might move a little fast because this isn't new. If you've been paying attention the past six or eight weeks, we've, we've covered this. This is more of a review and a refresher. But what do elders do? There's four things that I see in the scriptures. Number one, elders teach, okay? Elders teach. Uh, we know this is true from the scriptures for a couple of reasons. First Timothy 3 uh, verse 2, it says, An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband and one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Okay? All those other things are character-based issues. This is the only competency. They must be able to teach. Titus chapter 1 also talks about elders. And in verse 9, it says that they are to hold to the faithful message as taught, so that he'll be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So an elder must be able to cor correctly handle God's word, therefore they must be able to teach. I like what Lynn Anderson said on this. He says, the man who is experienced with the word has assembled the Bible into his life so that his teaching serves up life uh, resources and strength to others. This teacher will not only be at home with the Bible, but at home sharing it with his flock. He is one who stands regularly in the midst of people with his open Bible in his hand. He understands their needs, and he's able to connect the scriptures with real-life issues. And then he says this, The important question is not, can he teach a class? The real question is, does he teach? Okay, If they, <clears throat> if they bleed Bible and they are able to teach, they're going to be teaching. It might be in a, in a variety of different ways. It could be a class. It could be a D group. It could be one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Uh, it could be a lot of different things, but they will teach. So the first thing an elder does is he teaches. A second thing, what does an elder do? Lead. They lead. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is talking to the elders from Ephesus, and he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, which he purchased with his own blood. Now again, Paul is saying the same thing that Peter just said. Peter told the elders as a fellow elder to shepherd God's flock. And here, Paul is saying, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Again, you're shepherding, and it's God's church. It's his church. And so he's saying the same thing 
with different words. An elder leads. He's appointed as an overseer by the Holy Spirit. How does he lead God's flock? I call it the three Ds. Uh, You lead by direction. You direct people into the Word of God and the will of God. Uh, The second D is doctrine. Obviously, if they're going to teach, they've got to teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. And then the third D is discipline. Um, when When you have to deal with discipline issues in the church, I know that in, in, in most traditional Southern Baptist churches, the deacons do it. And let's be honest, that's probably the least favorite thing that deacons would like to do. Uh, biblically, we look at it and go, that's really not their responsibility. If you look at Acts 15 as a uh, prototype, in Acts 15, when there was this huge issue that could divide the church between Jew and Gentile lines, um, they, they went to Jerusalem, they gathered the apostles, and they included what? The elders, okay? The elders. And so I believe that is an elder function, not a deacon function, to deal with discipline issues in the church. Um, so those are the three Ds. How does an elder lead God's flock? Direction, doctrine, and discipline. Uh, the authority of an elder flows not from their position, but from an open Bible, and an obedient life. What do elders do? They teach. They lead. Number three, they model. They model. Go back to 1 Peter 5 again where Peter is talking to the elders. And as he continues his thought in verse 3, he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, Hebrews 13 tells us, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. And so they are to model. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but they ought to be able to say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Um, Elders are examples to the flock, I would say, in two specific ways. They model maturity. That's why they have those qualities that are character-based. And they model ministry. They, they serve. And so they model maturity and they model ministry. What do elders do? Number one, they teach. Number two, they lead. Number three, they model. And the fourth one, they pray. There in um, Acts chapter 6, when you see this... Uh, Uh, creation of a new office in the church, which I believe personally was deacons. Uh, There were widows that their needs were not being met. They were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And the, the apostles at the time gathered everybody together and said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the the word of God and prayer. So choose from among you seven men Uh, that meet this criteria, and they will take care of this. Well, I believe that's that distinction between the apostles and those servants is a good model prototype for elders and deacons. And so in Acts 6, it says, "We we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What do elders do? They pray and they teach. That's two of their key functions. 
In James 5, it gets a little bit more specific when it comes to prayer and elders of the church. In James 5, 14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it talks about this prayer of healing and this prayer of faith. And so you seek that out by going to uh, the godly leaders of the church. So those are the four functions of what does an elder do based on the New Testament, based on the Scriptures. They teach, they lead, they model, they pray. Now let's look at the other side, okay? Let's look at the other side, uh, and that is the office of deacon. What are deacons? Now we've spent the last three weeks on this, but this is a good recap. What are deacons? Deacons are servants who are entrusted to meet the practical needs of widows and others in need. Again, many believe, many conservative Bible scholars believe that the origins of deacon go back to Acts chapter 6. If that's not true, then we're frustrated because we have an office in Philippians 1.1, we have uh, qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, and then we have no sense of job description, and that would just be frustrating, wouldn't it? But I believe that Acts 6 helps us put all the pieces together. In Acts 6, verse 1 through 3, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God, to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Notice that it's, uh, they're appointed to a specific duty, a specific task, a specific responsibility. I've used this quote for three weeks in a row. I'm going to make it four. Uh, Sean Couch said, If a deacon is going to serve people when they're at their lowest, then he needs to be a man of highest character. The office of deacon is a position of trust and service. And so the conclusion is this. The responsibility of a deacon is focused on ministry to the widow specifically, but it's flexible enough to include anyone who is in need. And I think we mentioned this over the past two or three weeks, but let me say it again to kind of pull all the, the strings and pieces together here. But I think there's two more guiding principles that help us define what deacons do, and I think it is based on context of the local church. Every church context is going to be different. The principles we get from Acts 6 would be it's delegated by the elders and it's determined by the needs of the congregation. And so if the elders lead, teach, uh, pray, and model, and the deacons serve, then what are the needs that are not being met remember Acts chapter 6, and entrust and delegate those needs to the deacons. Uh, if there's uh, things that need to be done, uh, then that's what happens. What do deacons do? Um, 
I've used care, share, and prayer, but let me see if I can flesh that out a little bit more. What do deacons do? Number one, they extend care. They extend care. They, uh, based on Acts 6, they minister to the practical needs of widows and others in need. Okay, They minister to the practical needs of widows and others in need. They extend care. Number two, they're expected to share. Share what? The gospel. I don't think it's by accident that two of those seven men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6, one of them is Stephen, the other one is Philip, and you will find before their names disappear off the pages of Scripture, they are sharing the gospel with others, okay? They are sharing the gospel with others. So they extend care, and they're expected to share the gospel with others. And then number three, they express prayer. Uh, pray for God's power to change people's lives. I don't think that, um, I don't think elders have a monopoly on prayer. I don't think anybody, quote, has a monopoly on prayer. Jesus said that he wanted his church to be what? A house of prayer. And so that's something we should all do because when we pray, that's where God's power is. That's when God's prayer is is becomes active uh, and seen and felt. So now that we've kind of reviewed the uh, basics of what does an elder do, what does a deacon do, let's now bring these two together and let's ask ourselves, how do uh, elders and deacons work together? I've got Three things I want to look at before we wrap this up. So number one, they must understand how to work together by navigating through certain milestones. Here's milestone number one, confusion about roles, okay? Confusion about roles. Uh, Elders lead, deacons serve. Now, in every church that I've been in, the the leadership dynamic is different, okay? I am so thankful for our deacons here at, at Pleasant Hill because I believe they serve and they're willing to let the pastor lead. And I don't take that lightly. I consider that a trust and I want to say thank you. Um, I've served in some churches in the past where everything goes through the deacons to the point to where even if it's a good idea, if it's not rubber stamped by the deacons, it doesn't fly or see the light of day, okay? Um, That is not what Scripture uh, teaches. So the first milestone is confusion about roles. Elders lead, deacons serve. And we need to know what the Scripture says. Why? So that we are following scripture plus so that when we stand before God and give an account of how we lead or how we serve, we will be prepared. We'll know how to please the Lord in that way. Um, um, The second milestone on how to understand for elders and deacons to work together, the second milestone is competition with responsibilities. You got confusion about roles, and then you got competition with responsibilities. Um, I like what John Hammett uh, said in his book, Biblical Foundations for Baptist Churches. He said, when one looks at the verses containing the words elder, 
overseer, and pastor, a consistent pattern of plurality emerges. The church in Jerusalem is spoken eight times in the book of Acts as having elders. The church at Ephesus had elders, Acts chapter 20. The churches to which James wrote had elders, James chapter 5, as did the churches to which Peter wrote, 1 Peter 5. Uh, I would agree. Um, when you look at what the Scripture says, Acts 14, 23, when they, referring to Paul on the mission t- trip that he was on, when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then, of course, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is talking to Titus. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So here is an island where uh, Paul is directing Titus to appoint elders in every town, and then in the book of Acts, during the missionary trips that they would go and share the gospel and plant churches, they appointed elders in every church. Now, I may have told you all this story before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Um, I, um, <clears throat> I did some research on this years ago, and I discovered that around the 1820s, elders was in our vernacular. It was in our vocabulary. It was written in the local associational notes there in Tennessee where I served. And I wasn't just in any particular association. I was in Western District Association in Paris, Tennessee, which is still there and still doing well. But if you go back to the beginning of that association, it covered all of West Tennessee, perhaps some of Middle Tennessee. It dipped into Alabama and went into Western Kentucky. We're going way back, you know, before they got smaller and smaller and became more localized by county and stuff like that. And uh, that was on their record books. I remember doing a, um, a, um, a wedding in, in the county uh, at the church where I met Nancy. I was doing a, a, a wedding in that same county just down the road in a small country church. And it was one of those small churches where here is the stage and over there is a door. To, they go somewhere. And over here was a door and it went to the pastor's study. And so, you know, those moments when you're at a wedding rehearsal and you're just waiting for it to get over with and you know you're you're stepping back waiting for your turn to do your part and so I'm standing around okay taking everything in and I'm nosy and I'm looking back here by the pastor study the door's closed but I notice there's plaques on the wall okay plaques on the wall and I go over there and I start I start reading these plaques and uh, it went back several years in the church's history, and it used the word elder. This is Southern Baptist Church, and it used the word elder. And I was like, wow. And so when I was researching this uh, years ago, things were just uh, popping out at me. Um, I think the way it's been done in practice today is we put so much on one person that you're always going to be frustrated I believe ministry is a team sport. I believe if you look at the New Testament and how churches were planted, they they always look for a plurality of leadership. Now, this 
I may have put this under the wrong heading because we're supposed to be talking about competition with responsibilities, but I think what I'm about to say has everything to do with confusion about roles, okay? Because most of the time in Southern Baptist churches, too many churches have a pastor that stays three, four, five years. Anybody ever heard of that? I know you haven't, right? (laughs) And what happens? If you're not here longer than four years, you're going to have a hard time establishing your leadership and having a a positive impact on the congregation long term, okay? I'm talking about the congregation, not individuals. And uh, as a result, if you have a new leader every four to five years, it's, it's hard for the church to really make progress in the big picture of things. Because once you get a changing of the guard, a changing of a leader, you got a new person, new ideas, new emphasis, new focus, and so on. What happens during the, the median time? You, you've got deacons that are carrying the load. You've got search committees that are looking for the next guy, and so on and so forth. Um, and you, you get the idea. What happens over time is many times... Many times what I have seen in Southern Baptist churches is that deacons begin to act like elders. And when I say this, I'm saying it as an observation, okay? I'm saying it as an observation, and I can see exactly how it happens because the church has a single pastor, and then if it's always changing, somebody's got to step up and hold things together. But the biblical model in the New Testament is a plurality of elders or pastors or overseers. And again, they lead, they don't rule, okay? Big difference there, big difference, okay? And I'll talk about that in a minute at the end there. But um, that's what I want you to see, confusion about roles. That's one of the things you have to understand, leadership and servant. And then competition with responsibilities. If each one does what they're supposed to do, then it truly complements one another. And that's the third thing. See, these are milestones. How do they work together? How do elders and deacons work together? They navigate milestones. They have to be clear about their roles. They don't compete with their responsibilities. And as a result, they complement one another. Alexander Strzok said it well. He said, as long as the deacons enable the shepherds of the church to carry out their duties, and as long as the deacons serve the congregation's needs, then they're doing their job. Each one is doing their job, and they complement one another. And then that leads to the the fourth thing. I forgot I had four points here. Going to get your money's worth tonight. So the fourth uh, one is... Because they complement one another, now they can cooperate together, okay? Um, Dave, uh, Dave Miller wrote a blog on southernbaptistconventionvoices.com or sbcvoices.com. Uh, it's an old blog. I, I loved his, uh, his story. He's a pastor. He's, he served in three or four different churches throughout his ministry. And here's what he says. He says, Every church is elder-led, and every church is congregational. And I would agree theologically, and I would agree practically. He, built, he, he shares his story 
practically, and then he builds his case theologically. Here, here's what he means. He says, I go to this church, and I find that the elders of the church are a certain family that have always led the church. I go to a second church, and it's a certain group of deacons that have always led the church. I go to the third church, and there is a certain patriarch or matriarch who has always led the church. They may not have a title, and they may not be qualified to be a biblical elder in the New Testament sense of the term, but make no mistake, they function as the elder of the church because when it comes to leadership, it goes through them, okay? Then, then he also says, every church is congregational. What do I mean by that? Every church is congregational because at the end of the day, no matter what kind of leadership structure you have or the kind of people you have in charge, if the, uh, if the church is not uh, being heard or listened to, if the church is not being uh, um, served and led properly, then what do Baptists do? They vote with their feet. All right, they vote with their feet. Well, here's his quote. He says, you're, gonna have, you're going to have a small group of leaders in your church for good or bad, and your congregation's going to have its say one way or another. I believe that biblical ecclesiology, which is what the Bible says about church, demonstrates respect for leadership and holds it accountable to high standards. It also respects the congregation and its voice in church affairs. There are a variety of ways those interests can be structured, but qualified leadership and congregational consensus are essential for the proper functioning of the church, and I agree. So what is my position in all this? I know I stated it early in this series. You may have forgotten by then, and that's okay. My position is elder-led congregationalism. What does that mean? Every church is elder-led, every church is congregational. It's not either or, it's both. But if we're going to follow the Bible, then the elders need to be God-called and God-qualified, and the congregation needs to be shepherded and served properly. And when that is done, you see elder-led congregationalism. Now let me qualify elder-led. Elder-led does not mean elder-rule. I don't, because we're streaming, I won't say who. You can figure it out yourself. There are different faith groups out there. There are different denominations out there that have elders, and some of them, not necessarily all of them, but some of them are elder rule. What does that mean? That means the elders rule the church, and there's no need for business meetings, and what they say goes, and that's that. That is not what I'm talking about. That is not what I see in Scripture. So when I say elder-led, not elder-rule, I hope you understand there's a big distinction there, okay? Now, I want to go back to Peter because he is an apostle of Christ as a fellow elder who told the elders to shepherd the church of God. I think he illustrates in his first epistle this idea of elder-led congregationalism. Let me show you a couple passages in his letter and how they work together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. 
he says, as you come to Him, referring to Christ, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Right there, Peter is calling all believers, you yourselves, a a, a body, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood, okay? And that's where we get our idea of the priesthood of all believers. I don't have to go through some ecclesiastical authority or some man of some kind. I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and I can go directly to the throne of God's grace virtue by virtue of the blood of Jesus. Okay, So we are a holy priesthood, the priesthood of believers, the idea that God speaks to His people through His people congregationalism, okay? But then in chapter 5, same letter, 1 Peter 5, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd whose flock? God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greedy greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He goes out of his way, does he not, to paint a picture of what real leadership looks like. It's not someone that is a domineering. It's not someone that's a dictator. It's not someone that's trying to rule uh, as king. It's someone who is shepherding God's flock. They're overseeing out of willingness to serve the Lord. Um, they are not lording it over those that are entrusted to them, but they're being examples to the flock. And that's what leadership is. And so tonight, as we wrap up this series of, of biblical leadership, looking at the office of elders and deacons and what they do and how they work together, how they cooperate together, how they complement one another, Hopefully, when you look at them together, there's no confusion about roles. There's no competition about responsibilities. And you see how God has put them together. Um, I say this because I will say this, I guess, in closing because I got a few minutes. I felt led to teach this series, and I'm going to go back to the deacons and have conversations, and I will go through all the channels, I'm not in a hurry. But when I look at certain things, when I walk around here and pray about the future of our church, we've got a significant uh, percentage of our members that are senior adults. We're all getting older every day. I'm looking at 50 in about a year and a half or less. Jolly. And uh, where did time go? And I know that we've been, uh, the deacons would agree with me on this, we have... uh, We've come a long way in the past two or three years seeking to get more men to serve as deacons. I've learned a lot just listening secondhand from deacons that have talked to 
other men in the church that were approached about whether or not they'd be willing to serve as deacons. And that all got me to thinking, Lord, what do we need to do at Pleasant Hill? Not now, but in preparation for five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Like, like who are the leaders in the church, not just today, but who are the leaders in the church tomorrow? And when you look at the way the world is going now and society is going now, I, all I can tell you is I went to the Lord and started praying, and I guess I was getting all frustrated trying to figure this out until the Lord gently reminded me that all God's Word is not only inspired by God, but all of God's Word is profitable, okay? Uh, it's useful. Uh, you know that verse in 2 Timothy. God's Word is profitable. It's useful. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I may not know everything, but He's given me everything I need to do what He would have me to do. And it's like He gently reminded me, Corey, read my book. I've got a plan for that. Oh, yeah, okay. And so I began to read the New Testament again uh, from the perspective of biblical leadership. And... I just felt compelled to teach what the Bible says, a plurality of elders that lead the church and then a plurality of deacons that serve the church. And once you understand both, once you understand how they work together, once you understand how that operates within the context of congregationalism, once you understand how all that happens under the mandate or mission of making disciples, then all of a sudden it makes sense that we are called to make disciples, mature disciples, multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we do that through our D groups and other means, and people become to know Christ, they begin to grow and mature in their faith, and they begin to, to serve in, in, in small ways, and they begin to take on leadership opportunities just in life, all of a sudden we're creating a disciple-making culture in our church it's going to be easier to spot people who are serving, spot people who are leading, and then follow what the book says. Follow what the book says. I think that many times churches are frustrated because um, pastors don't stay. I think that deacons are frustrated because they, they're doing more than what deacons are supposed to do. And then pastors are frustrated because... Well, they don't know how to change it, and many times they don't stay long enough to change it. You put all that together, I'm just telling you like it is. So I encourage you tonight, let's strive to do our part in serving in the body of Christ. And I'll close with one more passage. It's Ephesians 4. It, it, it paints the picture there's going to be a day when we're no longer like little children, tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by the human cunningness with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but from Him, that is Christ, the whole body okay, of believers, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. But speak the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, and that is Christ. If you and I will focus on Christ, and we will deepen our walk with Christ, and each person grows in love for God, love for others, and each one does what God's called them to do, then all of a sudden we see the church build itself 
up in love as each part of the body does what it's designed to do. And so this teaching series is something I felt led to do. It's something that we'll talk about again in the future. It's something that I anticipate taking my time on. This is not something that's going to happen two weeks or two months, not at all. Um, and it's something that I want us to really pray about because I think the more that I, the more that I go back to Scripture, I'm, I'm compelled to keep two things in mind. We know one is the message. One's the message. But the other one, I think, is methods. Now, I kind of got to be careful when I say this because sometimes we get stuck on certain ways of doing things and we can dig our heels in. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what methods do we see in Scripture, okay? And let's do that. Uh, I like what one pastor said. He says the church ought to be Jesus-centered. And that means that not only do we just focus on Jesus and talk about Jesus, but we share His message and we imitate His methods, okay? His methods. And that's what I aim to do. Let's imitate His methods in the Scripture, and when we do, we will see God work, I think, in new and fresh ways. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before You tonight. Thank You for this message from the Word. Lord, I pray that You would challenge us, Lord, to dig into our, our Bibles and study your, your Scriptures, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, give us a heart of love, uh, a willingness to serve. Lord, help us to take advantage of opportunities to lead our, our friends and our families to You. And Father, I pray that You would just, uh, just speak to each and every one of us as a member of Your body, Lord, that we might all strive to do our part to build one another up, to encourage one another, to love one another, so that we see the body of Christ right here at Pleasant Hill built up as each part does its work. And Father, I pray for those that are called to serve as deacons, not just, the, just recently, but in the future, Lord, that you will supply what we need when we need it. And Lord, for those that you might appoint by the Holy Spirit as Elders, as the New Testament says, Lord, that I just trust, Lord, that you'll be the one that extends that call. So, Father, I pray for your will to be done in our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.